really great for us to have Phil Brown here with us today on the podcast. And Phil is the head of Oikos Ministries in Australia. Uh, I've known Phil for a number of years, but um, he's, uh, he, he goes back a long way further than what I know him. Uh, he's, uh, he was a country Vic boy, and uh, he grew up and, um, in the wonderful surrounds of country Victoria, ended up in Tasmania, and then moved to Melbourne and was married, uh, and his first church plant in 1996 uh, was, um, as he described it, a real roller coaster ride of highs and lows. And um, uh, after some further study with the D-Min, he went over to Western Australia uh, to see church planting there. And uh, amazing amount of churches and groups were planted in four years. Fifty groups and churches were planted. And from there, uh, after some further ministry, uh, he jumped into. Um, what today is now Oikos as it focuses on house church and discipleship and disciple making around Australia. Welcome, Phil. Good to have you with us. Well, thanks, Dave. It's great to be here with you as well. It's really, really good, Phil. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah, I, as Dave mentioned, I grew up in country Victoria. I always knew the Lord, but when I was 12, I had a deep personal experience with him and even though I've walked imperfectly I've always sought to follow the Lord and it's just been such a blessing uh, in my life and my marriage and our family and um, we're just so grateful for what the Lord has been doing for us and just giving us opportunities to serve him it's just fantastic Mm. Mm. so we have um we have uh, been uh, in the movement space for some time, and uh, one of the real issues that we we wrestle with is is how to do church. We see church multiplying spontaneously in the non-Western world in smaller groups, and um, but we see uh, that we out here in the West are kind of stuck in the mud in a lot of ways. Um, What's your reflection on on some of the issues that we're facing in the church in the West? Yeah, I think what you say is very true, um, Dave. I think some of the challenges that grow out of the existing church is that um, it tends to breed passivity for most people involved in the life of the church. There's a few people, probably 10 15% or whatever it is, who are, doing most of the work and then the rest are fairly passive for most of the time. Um, Go along each week, um, sing, listen, sit there, put a bit in the offering plate and, yeah, you're good and you've done church. Um, I think it's also um, institutionalised and programmatic. There's so many programs that sort of take on a life of their own. Um, sometimes people can be out in some churches three, four or more times a week just going to church programs and it doesn't leave much um, time for anything else. One of the other problems is that it's based around paid professionals rather than the priesthood of all believers. We, We talk about the priesthood of all believers in Protestant churches but we don't really do it. 
because it's still very pastor-centric in, in most cases. And probably one of the biggest problems that grows out of all this is that church as we know it can't be replicated very easily. It's, um, it's very costly and takes a lot of time to replicate a church because you need a building, a pastor, lots of money, uh, um, a, a team to run it. And it's become just a place where you go to for the service once a week rather than primarily being an equipping centre for um, sending out disciple makers. Over over the years, I, I've noticed that it, the fact that we already have the church here can sometimes be a barrier, like people can come to faith and you're getting them all fired up and then they... Um, think, oh, I better get serious about this and um, they have this picture that they should go off to a regular church Mm. and they go off there and hook in and, of course, they're welcomed and um, then they just um, join the program. We've had that happen. I'm sure others have as well. So sometimes um, because people have in the back of their mind about what church is and they saw the building down the road, that can actually be a bit of a barrier. And I think probably one more thing is just the flow of energy. Mm. It takes so much energy to run the machine, if we can call it that. It's like a um, a power station that basically uses up most of the electricity that's generated lighting the power station. So much energy goes into the programs on the weekend and the various church activities that despite the rhetoric, there's not a lot of time and energy or or money really left for any other activity, particularly for disciple-making. So I think there's some of the barriers and problems that we have with the the modern Western church. And um, because we live in a culture that is increasingly, I would say, anti-Christian in many cases, um, the church is not looked on with a lot of favour by the media and and so we've got this situation and here we are and we need to really look at some fresh approaches, I think. I think more and more pastors, I get contacted by quite a few pastors and other leaders um, basically coming to the conclusion there's got to be another way. Fantastic, Phil. Thanks. That's a, that's a, a reflection I think a lot of us will identify with. Um Phil, how does this compare, do you think, with New Testament concepts of church and the things that we take away from the early church? What what do you think is different? Because, you know, growing up, I think a lot of people imagine that that's, this is exactly what the New Testament church did. They had the buildings and the songs and the sermons and isn't isn't that exactly what they did in the new testament and <laughs> we kind of view the practices of the early church through the prism of our own experience um what, what's some of your reflections because i know you've studied and i've really been blessed when you've talked about um early church and new testament church yeah it's a, a good question dave because um yeah, we often, when we read the word church in the Bible, we automatically think of what we experience and think it was exactly the same back then, but it wasn't. 
Um, as I understand it, the church um, in the New Testament times was essentially the product of disciple making and people who were excited that they'd found Jesus. And they, they were so caught up with the reality and their experience that Jesus had died and had risen again and that we can experience his presence, his grace, his power, his healing. And then they wanted to get together naturally with other believers. And so essentially that assembly of disciples was what the, the church was. Mm. And so often we focus primarily on the church instead of firstly noting that it was the product really of disciple making. And so for me, the church is a gathering of disciples in the name of Jesus to reveal the presence and reality and fullness of Jesus through his body. So we gather in the name of Jesus and most of the things that we experience in church today weren't necessarily a part of early church. For example, they didn't have a weekly sermon for believers. Mm. The preaching was actually done evangelistically um, to share with non-believers. They didn't have pastors. They didn't have buildings. Um, the first church building we have is um, Juro Europos on the banks of Euphrates River between Syria and um, Iraq. And basically it was the ruins of it and it's just we found, and it was just an enlarged house. They basically knocked out a wall mm. and made it a little bit larger. So they didn't have buildings in those earliest days, probably until just before or around the time of Constantine. And so when we think of church, we need to think um, of what it actually was. It was a gathering of disciples. And interestingly, Jesus and Paul didn't use um, religious terms. They could have looked at the synagogue. They could have looked at the temple, but they didn't choose either of those. In fact, um, they, they used a word um, called ecclesia, and mm. I'll just go in a little bit to, into the background of that word, but it was used 115 times or so in the New Testament, and Paul used it some 60 times. And it has a really interesting history. If you go back to the 5th century BC, um, it was used in the Greek city-states where they would call an assembly of all the citizens who were expected to come together and there they would make decisions for peace and war and hiring of generals and various taxes and various other decisions. And so it's interesting that Jesus um, used the word, I think, twice, and Paul in the New Testament uses this non-religious word, hmm. except the gathering is now in the name of Jesus Christ and it's to reveal him. And so there was also a Hebraic background and to, the, to the word, and it was the called-out assembly, people who were called out by God to listen and to act in obedience to the voice of God. So it had those dual, the Greek background of ecclesia and also the Hebraic idea as well. Mm. So when we think of church, we need to think primarily of groups of people who were gathering, in the most case, 
Once they were thrown out of the temple and out of the synagogues, they met primarily in homes. And that's where they gathered. And it was fairly small. Most houses, um, like in Rome, were more like a bed-sitter. Perhaps some could um, seat perhaps 20, 25 people. Hmm. A really big, luxurious home, maybe 40 to 45. But mostly they were smaller gatherings. And of disciples of Jesus. And so it was very relational. It was very experiential. Mm. It was very mm. participatory. Mm. Like it says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, when you come together, one has a hymn, one has a prayer, one has a tongue, one has an t- interpretation. Everyone was given the opportunity to contribute, and it was usually based around a meal. And, mm. yes, they did have leaders, but it wasn't hierarchical, it wasn't controlling, it was um, a real community, a gathering of people excited about Jesus without most of the trappings that we have in churches today. They didn't have big choirs, they didn't have big buildings, they didn't have pastors, pews, um, Sunday schools. Hmm. What else do we think of when we think of church today? Professionalism Um, and professional programs. Professionalism. Mm. Yeah, programs that um, were sort of scripted. They obviously didn't have technology with PowerPoint and lights and (laughs) all the rest of it. They just had themselves, the Holy Spirit, and a focus on Jesus and his presence. Wow. Wow, that's that's fantastic. And if you think of that time frame of... um, uh, between Jesus and Constantine, that's almost 300 years um, where we see the church had, I think, basically developed as a living room movement, we'd describe it today. They learnt how to function in homes and and it would be a foreign, would have been a very foreign concept for them to go to church because church was home and church was part mm. of home and they gathered, disciples gathered in homes and they they did these wonderful of things. What do you think some of the practices were of the church that would probably surprise us today, Phil? Probably um, one of the practices would be that um, it, it wasn't dominated by one leader doing most of the talking. Hmm. I think there was a lot of sharing. And the other thing that probably would surprise us from if we can believe earlier accounts, um, Tertullian complained about women teaching and or speaking and sharing and doing all sorts of activities. So I think there everyone was involved. Hmm. Um, I hope I'm not um, pricking anyone's um, theological toes there, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems to have been the case if we can read these ancient accounts and and just notice that. Mm. Can I just add, Dave, with the church as we look back, we have to think of some of the pictures that the New Testament gives us of what church was like. Mm. Um, It talks about church as a bride of Christ. Mm. And here you have the lover of God is the lover and he's pursuing his people. So it's very precious. Um, Ephesians 6.22 says, And in him you too were being built together together become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So there was also the idea of a temple, but a living temple made up of people. Mm. And I was reflecting on uh, Ephesus 
the church at Ephesus and also Ephesians 3.10 where it says, His intent was now that through the ecclesia, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms through Jesus Christ. So, yeah, there was this idea of everyone being involved and at best it really reflecting the Godhead of the Father, Son and Spirit. So as we think about that, it's it's an amazing concept. Um, and the as everyone shared, it more fully represented um, Jesus. Mm. I think when only one person shares, as good as they might be, as talented and as gifted a speaker they might be, it is still an incomplete representation of Jesus. Whereas I think collectively the body of Christ helps give a fuller expression of um, of Jesus to people and his reality. Just fantastic. Just fantastic. Yeah. I was... um. Um, online with our uh, Indian brothers who are on a, in movement space where they're seeing multiplication happen at a very rapid rate. And um, they shared also with some humor. They said that our women are the best. They're the best leaders. They're the best ones who share. They're the ones who are least threatening when they go into a village and people are more likely to beat up the man, but they'll listen to the women. And um, so the women are um, the ones who end up doing the most sharing and leading. And that's one of the amazing things in uh, that's happening and quite countercultural in a place like India, which is far more patriarchal than even somewhere like Australia. So really exciting and yeah that reflection on new testament church being filled with women leaders as well a fascinating thing um i think as we jump into movements in places like china we see even a high high percentage of pastors and leaders of of groups of women as well so quite quite a different thing so yeah participation and um uh, people involved um fantastic Phil, um, tell us a bit more about some of the learnings that you're seeing from the early church. One of the things um, we've already mentioned, the role of women, the amazing uh, part that they've played. Another one was, um, and I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but the catcherman process, the way that they taught new believers. And initially in the New Testament, People were baptized straight away after they accepted Christ. But in the next um, while when persecution came prior to Constantine, um, they went through a very um, rigorous process where they took a person who was interested. They actually met with them regularly each week or more often and actually um, saw that their life started to change. So they wanted to see that repentance actually took place and they no longer were living basically as pagans. And then there was a four-part process leading up finally to full baptism. And it's just a fascinating experience that when the early church was growing, this was a fairly rigorous process. It could take some time. Whereas once Constantine came, it dropped off and people sort of came into the church in mass. But I would say that in those earliest years, um, the people who were Christians were really devout Christians. They'd been taught, their lifestyle had been changed. 
I mean, one of the things was they had to go and visit um, people in need, uh, perhaps in prison. Um, even rulers were challenged not to wear purple, you know, to, to live a more simple life. And so they look for changes in people's lives. And perhaps it, one of the things we can learn from that is in our disciple discipling of people, not that we want to be legalistic or anything like that, but we need to make sure that um, they really do understand fully and this could be, in my view, after baptism, but nonetheless, they're grounded deeply in faith and that it's not just something you say yes to. I said a sinner's prayer and that's it. It's a, it's coming into the image of Christ and, and really letting him into every area of our life. So that's one thing I think that really stands out to me. We could say many other things, but um, just to make sure our discipling of people is really grounded yeah, wow. That's just amazing. When you think about how we invite people into the church today, and there's very little process or filtering or understanding what it means to follow Christ. It's it's a, often a message of cheap grace. Just come in and and then um, then then we'll try and work it out. And so you have all these people that have accepted maybe a gospel they haven't understood. Uh, but there in the in the early church, they really um, looked at transformation that led to Christ, mm. didn't they? And that was um, that's just um, revolutionary and incredibly challenging for our processes. Yeah, exactly. And perhaps um, just one last thing I want to suggest. Um, Jesus took his his people out on the job for disciple training and perhaps our church gatherings could be more action and learning focused. So not just teaching and listening but more doing things together um, to actually learn. And this is something we haven't done real well in our group, I will admit, but I have an ideal that, you know, every few weeks we go out Instead of actually gathering initially, we um, we go out, do some prayer walking, go and minister to some people and then come back and share what's happened. So we actually go out and do it. And I know you guys do a lot of that, so you're right on board with that. But action-based learning, I think, is so important. What's um, what's How do we then, if we look at what we're doing today and we then cast our eyes back to the New Testament church and we're just seeing a... A contrast, uh, a real difference there. What what's some of the ways we can l- bring those learns forward into our current practice today when we're trying to grapple with the question, what is church? I think, for one, we need to make it simple, mm. not more complex. And... Um, when you read the New Testament, you read about a number of churches, for example, around Colossae, um, around that area. Maybe there was five or so churches and that we know of. And you read other accounts. So it needs to be simple. It needs to be something that everyone can do because, as we know in movements, it has to be able to be replicated and multiplied um, mm. and hopefully rapidly. So it can't be too complex so we need to drop off the complexity and and just have something that's fairly simple that virtually any and every believer could facilitate. 
So I think that's one thing to simplify the whole process. Well, that's, I mean, what a huge jump that is to say anybody could um, run a church. And um, yeah, as we as we grapple with it, we often see even people from the harvest, say people from Iran or different uh, places coming into Australia, and they might come to Christ, but then they, they're looking around at all these buildings and they, they feel like, oh, I need to go to church because that's the valid place, not run church and be church. Have you have you discovered that in your kind of circles where you're kind of almost trying to struggle to validate um, what we're doing is church, what we're doing is, is really uh, yeah. a, a New Testament or biblical concepts of church? Yeah, definitely. And <clears throat> I remember well um, visiting a church in Sydney um, made up of people primarily from uh, Iran and it was an amazing experience. Most of these people had just come to Jesus or were still in the process. Most had experienced miracles and um, I heard of at least five or six of the people gathered there that night who had visions of Isa of Jesus and one of them told me um, how that they had prayed, their husband was back in Iran and they had prayed for um, him because he had cancer mm. and they prayed over the phone and then he went to have his chemo down at the hospital and they said, we'll just do a check before we give it to you. They checked and they couldn't find any cancer. Hmm. And um, so they sent him home, and it just spread all around the village um, how that Isa or Jesus was the best healer. And um, so, yeah, but what happened with this? It was such a dynamic group. There was passion. People were talking, sharing. I couldn't understand everything. I had to ask for translation, obviously. But what happened was, sadly, a pastor from in the state sort of took control of the group and moved it under his control and the whole thing changed. And so I think it is a real problem. Um, we've faced the same where we've had the privilege of seeing someone come to Christ and then they get dragged by people they meet into a church, um, a regular church, and so everything changes. So... Yeah, I think that is a that is a real problem. Yeah, and and it tends to, I think, stop multiplication and stop mm. um, people's active participation. So, um, how, you know, Phil, how does church look like for you? What do you do, and what does it look like? Uh, getting personal here, uh, you get you get together. Um, who do you get together with and how how does the Ecclesia look, what does the Ecclesia look like for you guys as you do it? Yeah, we usually meet in a few different families' homes. Um, sometimes we meet um, in the park or even at a marketplace, but generally it circulates around our homes and this is something else that church is quite different um, in the New Testament times that tend to be focused around a meal. Mm. And so when we come together, it's usually in the evening um, 
late afternoon. And so we often have a time of just catching up. And then we typically will have a, um, a meal and we begin the meal with the communion elements. And we usually just go around the circle and say, you know, you can either say something you'd like to thank God for or thank Jesus for or something, say something that you really love about Jesus. And so we would say, Jesus, I really just love that you're so kind and compassionate or whatever it might be. Hmm. And so um, we often, we usually do that and then we usually have the meal and then typically we will, um, as people are getting their desserts, we'll say, let's come back together and um, then we'll go into a time where we we usually share a, a bit about vision, perhaps some worship and singing and prayer and not always but often we have an accountability time where we just say, how did we go this week? And we have some four or five different areas that we focus on. You know, did we have any chance to pray with somebody? Um, did we love on our neighbours? Um, did we go deeper with God? Mm. Um mm. Uh, what what um, what are some good things that have happened that we can share? So things like that. And we just do it in a non-threatening way, but it keeps a bit of a focus on, hey, we are really supposed to share our faith and have we actually done that? And are mm. we also loving people and reaching out to them? So we, we do that and then we move typically into Discovery Bibles um, time and that's where... Um, most of you would be very familiar with that process. Um, mm. We read a passage of scripture, get someone to reread it, someone else to retell it in their words, and then we ask some simple questions. And I know you guys are all familiar with that, so I won't uh, labour it further. But yeah, that's a, a central part of what we do. And then we usually finish off with praying for each other. Um, and sometimes probably not as often as we should, but we often practice this. We sometimes practice a skill like sharing our testimony or, um, you know, how to pray for somebody or how to share a gospel presentation. But we probably don't do that as often as we should, but we have done it on many occasions. Yeah, and then that's sort of basically it, and then people hang around and talk and the hour grows late. <laughs> that's fantastic. Amazing. Um, what what do you think the major challenges are in this house church concept? Yeah, when we say house church, it's a. I, I think of it in terms of the characteristics. It doesn't have to meet in a house. Mm. You know, it can meet in a cafe uh, under a tree. Mm. Um, can can meet anywhere. But um, some of the, the challenges are it takes. A lot of people move out of sort of very structured, controlling church environments and they want to sort of go organic and it appeals to them, but it still does take some leadership and someone just to pull it together. So you need some um, families who will will do that and also be willing to host it. Um, So that's one challenge. we, we find it's not such a, a great problem and everyone brings food and so it's a really just a great occasion. Probably another challenge that happens in smaller groups is 
that they can be a bit more fragile than an institutional church because there's fewer people typically and so if a family or two leaves, the group may not continue. Um, now, they need to be multiplying, etc., but it, it's just reality that sometimes if, you know, a couple of families might leave or move or something and it really sort of um, takes a fair toll on the group. So longevity is, a, is an issue for groups. But if they are multiplying quickly and as they should be, well, then it's not a problem. Wow. And as we kind of wrestle through this idea of what is church that just um, is great. I, I wonder if some of our challenges for people who haven't experienced this before uh, is to actually just jump in and have a go and to just have have a bit of freedom to experiment and do church in in different ways than what they're used to um, and to, to see it um, happen in a New Testament model. Phil, um, as we finish off today, I, I wonder if you would have a, a word of encouragement for us as praxis workers. As I reflected on this thought, Dave, First um, Corinthians 15 verse 58 came to mind and it says, Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And so I just want to say to um, Praxis workers, I really admire you guys um, and I, I feel like that you're the special ops troops that are out in front of the army and you're out there pioneering stuff and um, eventually the army and everyone else will catch up but you guys are out there actually doing it and your learnings and your experiences are just so invaluable and people will catch on and they can learn from what you discover. And so I believe that God, Father, Son and Spirit is very well pleased with what you guys are doing. So I just want to encourage you and perhaps share something I was going to share earlier. Um, I had a – Kate and I were – my wife, Kate – and I were praying once about direction, and I had this picture come to me, which initially I thought was very unusual. And I think it was for us and for Oikos, but I think it would apply to you guys as well. I saw this um, steam train, you know, from last century or so, steaming across a huge open field. It could have been in Australia or it could have been in the western frontier in America. And it was going full, full bore and it was racing along, and we know it was going to the outposts of civilization at that time. And so as I reflected on this, it, it sort of struck me. Oh, and I had a, a cow catcher on the front, and that was to throw off logs and other things that would derail the train. And as I reflected on this, it, obviously the you need two tracks for the train, and so... The one track the Lord just put on my heart represented our spiritual connection with, with God, you know, our passion, our listening to the Holy Spirit, prayer, the supernatural, all that dynamic. And the other side um, represented having the tools and the, the practical uh, ways of going about sharing the gospel and making disciples. And both are necessary, I want to suggest. Um, 
You can't just do it on technique. Um, you need the power of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural. But also, um, the supernatural works with us and we need to be equipped and trained and in, in using some tools that work. And so, obviously, if either track is missing, the train runs off the track. And so, I think you guys have got a good balance, you know. You sp- I know you spend a lot of time in prayer, um, seeking God, but also you're out on the job as well. So I just want to encourage you and say, well done, guys. I admire you immensely and keep it up. And as the Lord promises, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Sometimes you might feel like you're not getting uh, much headway, but and then a breakthrough will come or something like that. So I just really want to say be strong and go for it and keep going. We admire you. We um, I think you are on the front line. Um, you're like the the commandos and those who would go ahead of the, the other forces and you're establishing the way. So that's what I would like to say. Keep, keep doing what you're doing.